Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, verses 22 through 27. Each year, you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine, and fresh oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell, so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. But if the distance is too great for you to carry it, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord your God has blessed you, then exchange it for silver. Take the silver in your hand and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the silver on anything you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, beer, or anything you desire. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. Do not neglect the Levite within your city gates since he has no portion or inheritance among you. The word of the Lord. Today's psalm is Psalm 33, verses 1 through 11. We will read this responsively by whole verse. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. It is fitting for the just to be thankful. Praise, Praise the Lord, Lord with the harp. Sing praises unto him with the ten-string. Sing unto him a new song. Make skillful melody and cry aloud with joy. The word of the Lord is true, and, and all his works are faithful. He loves righteousness and true judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as in a heap, and lays up the deep as in a treasure house. Let all the earth fear the Lord and stand in awe of him, all you that dwell in the Lord. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to naught. He makes the devices of the peoples to be of no effect and casts out the counsels of princes. The counsel of the Lord shall endure forever, and the thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5 verses 6 through 13. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter 
not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among yourselves. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, starting in verse 37 and going all the way through the beginning of chapter 12. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. When Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did he who made the outside not also make the inside? But give as alms those things that are inside, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees! For you love the best seats in the synagogues and greeting in the marketplaces. Woe to you! You are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers and teacher, in saying those things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also! For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you built their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers! You have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And as he went away from there, scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden 
that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetops. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. We're continuing in walking through the gospel of Luke together. When I was in seminary, uh, one of my professors, a guy named Steve Brown, who has the best radio voice in the world, and I won't be able to do this story justice, but he told a joke, which is kind of an old joke, but he said a pastor once was, uh, was in a bar and he met a guy and the guy said, so what do you do for a living? The pastor said, oh, I'm, a, I'm the pastor of a church. The guy said, oh, I would never go to a church. Those things are full of nothing but hypocrites. The pastor said, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's true, but there's always room for one more. Jesus is taking aim in this passage in Luke at one of his absolute favorite topics, which is hypocrisy. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 11, verse 37. Um, if you would like to follow along in a Bible but didn't bring one, there are blue Bibles on that, uh, on that low wooden table in the back. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those Bibles is yours. Let me pray for us as we open God's Word. God, we ask that you would, um, that you would not blunt the sting of these words of Jesus. You would, you would press them into our hearts, also at the same time remind us mercy. In Christ's name. So Jesus is talking with, with Pharisees and with, with lawyers, with experts in the law, with scribes. He's talking to them about hypocrisy, and it kind of comes in two different ways. Um, have you ever heard the expression, let's work from big to small? Right? It's, it's an expression that means like, okay, we got this project or this task, Let's tackle the big parts of it first. Let's go for the center parts, the primary parts, the important stuff. Let's deal with that first. And then we'll start dealing with the, the little peripheral things. Let's get the important stuff squared away. It's a pretty good approach to life. The hypocrisy that Jesus has in view here comes in two different flavors. The first is people who, instead of in a gospel sense, instead of working from big to small, are insisting on, on working from small to big. Take unimportant stuff and make it central. And, and Jesus is very specific here in both cases, in both people that he's talking to. He points out that there, in this passage, we can see there are two, and, and really only two, there's two things that get damaged if you engage in hypocrisy. The first one is you, and the second one is everybody else around. So let me take a look at this. Jesus, in chapter 11, starting in verse 37, he's dining with another Pharisee. Last, uh, maybe two, three weeks ago, Jesus was eating with a Pharisee named Simon. And as he was eating, a prostitute came in, and she was, she was weeping to be in the presence of Jesus. And she was washing, her feet with her, washing his feet with her tears. She was drying his feet with her hair. Same kind of setup here. Seems like Jesus hangs out with Pharisees a lot. And it's not that he was one of them, but they kind of moved in the same circles. I mean, these were experts in 
in the scriptures. These were teachers. They were instructors. And so the Pharisee is genuinely surprised that Jesus doesn't seem to be doing the same kind of ritual hand-washing ceremony that the Pharisees. Many scholars have, have theorized that the, the hand-washing that's in, in view here actually was a, a rule that the Pharisees had invented, and it all comes from a very, a, kind of a, a smaller secondary verse in, in the Old Testament covenant, in the, in the Old Covenant. Um, Leviticus chapter 7, Leviticus chapter 15, verse 11, which talks about how if somebody has some sort of bodily fluid on them, they actually have to wash their hands before they can touch anybody else, or everything they touch will be unclean. Pretty reasonable. But like so many things about the Pharisees, they take these Old Testament laws, which God gave to his people actually for their good and for their flourishing and actually to be a blessing to them, and the Pharisees add a ton of stuff on top of it. So a rule about how somebody who has blood or some, or, or some kind of bodily fluid is on their hands has to go wash, pretty good rule. The Pharisees take that and now they turn it into this elaborate ritual where every single person or they can sit down at a shared meal, has to go through this elaborate washing Is that a bad practice in and of itself? No. Nothing wrong with that. Is it sinful to go through this elaborate washing ceremony? But remember that Jesus kept the Old Testament law perfectly. So is it sinful to not go through the elaborate washing ceremony that the Pharisees did? No. No, it's not. And we know it's not because Jesus led a sinless life and he didn't do it. But the fact that he did not do this kind of showy, performative, extra thing was just incomprehensible to the Pharisees. So Jesus' host calls him out on this. And Jesus used this, uses this as an excuse to absolutely unload on this guy who's hosting him for a dinner. Verse 39, Jesus says to him, You Pharisees, you wash the outside of the cup and the plate. But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So that's not like if you picture a cup, he's not saying that you wash the outside of it here but you're forgetting this part. He's saying you're washing the surface of it. But the inside, the, the stuff that you can't see inside the plate, inside the cup, that's where the rot and the wickedness lie in your hearts. He says in verse 40, you fools, did not he who made the outside also make the inside? But give as alms those things that are from the inside, and everything will be clean for you. Which is to say this, stop worrying about outward appearances. Stop worrying about the small stuff. Stop working small to big and actually worry about stuff that matters. Remember, the entirety of God's law to his people can be summed up in two sentences. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you are a follower of God, and if you have a good understanding of, of who he is and, and who you are, and the difference between that, and the mercy that he, had, that he has already shown you through Christ Jesus, then the proper response to that is, is a, a life devoted to him. And the other proper response to that is a life devoted to other people. So, Devotion to God, devotion to others. That's the law, all of it, summed up in two sentences. It's more about your heart and your mindset and everything else, all of your actions, all of your behaviors, everything flows out of that. Thomas Cranmer, the, uh, the main force behind what we know as the Anglican Church and the guy who actually 
wrote or compiled the majority of the Book of Common Prayer, he understood that the heart comes first. Cranmer very famously said that what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. So this is kind of in line with what Jesus is saying. Change what you love, and then your, your thoughts and your actions will naturally flow from that. And so, if you had to guess, even if you don't know the Old Testament that well, quick quiz. If you had to guess, which receives more weight from God in the Old Testament law? Caring for others or washing your hands? Caring for others. And specifically, and this is kind of, it's kind of a shame, the way the ESV translates this, um, that's the translation that we just read from, it, it, it's a little wooden and it lets people off a little bit too easy because you can spiritualize what this giving looks like and to whom. Uh, the, the word for, for giving alms is um, L.A. Moussine, and w- which the ESV translates as almsgiving, which is true. But almsgiving in the Bible always, always, always means give to the poor. Give to those who are less fortunate. Give things away to those who have need. And so that's why every other translation other than the ESV has this verse as give to the poor from that from which you have within you and then everything will be clean. So as we consider how God would have us live, let's not, Jesus is saying, don't worry so much about this small stuff, about ritual. Let's focus on the stuff that God tells us to care about over and over and over. Jesus is basically saying, look, make sure the poor are fed first, and then you can go and take your little bath. But he's not done with this Pharisee. He's actually just getting warmed up with him because then he turns, he turns back to him and he says, Woe to you, for you love to tithe mint and rue and every herb, but you neglect justice and the love of God. This ties right in with what we heard in our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy 14. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22 says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from your field year by year. So what does that mean? That means that people, that God's people were supposed to take 10% of everything that they made in a year. All of their crops, all of their animals, all their goods. They were supposed to take 10% of everything and offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Give it to the temple for the conducting of worship. 10% of it as a sacrifice of faith. I mean, it's, it's good practice for us to be, to, to be formed in that way because Every single thing that we have comes from God anyway. And he's letting us keep 90% of it. And all he asks is that as a, as a show of our faith and our trust in him, and the sacrifices that we're willing to make for him, that we give back 10% of it. So here Jesus is saying that, oh yeah, sure, Pharisees follow the law. Yeah, they, they even go so far as to tithe on their tiny little herbs, like mint and, and rue, which is some sort of spice that's used in... Middle East, and every garden herb, like you're, you're taking out 10% of this little handful of mint, but you're forgetting the stuff that God cares about. You're doing super great at the small stuff, but can we please work from big to small on this and not from small to big? You're great at following peripheral rules, but you're missing what the heart is of the law. Love God, love neighbor. So he says that you're, you're completely bypassing justice. This is 
a loaded word, but, but think of it like this. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, when it talks about justice, it also talks about making sure that you have equal weights and measures for everyone, that you treat everyone fairly. And so you're bypassing caring for your neighbor and treating people fairly so that you can follow these rituals of tithing 10% of the little herbs that came out of your garden. Jesus is very clear about this. He's saying, he's, he's saying it's not that you shouldn't do that. You should. You should give away 10% of everything you have, including your rue and your cilantro and your rosemary and whatever. But let's not forget to make central the stuff that God holds central. Loving God, loving neighbors. Then he goes on to say what the result of all of this superficial stuff can be. And this is, this is convicting. What kind of working from the peripheral into the center or, or, or what, what working from small to big can get you. He says, woe to you, you are like unmarked graves. The people walk over them and don't even know it. Which is, oof. But it makes you think, like, what is God's law for? What is following all these rules for? It, for a couple things. First of all, it's for our good. God does not give us his law to punish us. It's for our good. It's for the, for the reduction of harm and evil and for the promotion of human flourishing. But God actually gave his law to his people also in order to spread his kingdom. There's a missional aspect of God giving his law. It's made very clear in the Old Testament. God, in part, gave his law to his people so that they could then be an example to the, the, the cities or the tribes or the nations around them so that people could look at how the Israelites were living and say, wow, look at how great they're living. Look at how fair and just they, their system of governance is. What do they know that we don't? What kind of God do they have that we don't have? Let's go and talk to them and learn more about this God. Of so Jesus says that when we, work, when we work small to big, when we're way too concerned with peripheral stuff, but we neglect the really important stuff, we're basically not in any way living out that missional part of, of following God's path. That we're just unmarked graves. People can walk right over us, not even know that we're there. If you care more about the superficial stuff than the real missional posture of making your whole life a, a journey with God, then you're just missing the point. So this seems like a really good time to briefly talk about rituals and practices church. The Pharisees practiced their righteousness, as, as Jesus put it. They practiced their righteousness as a big, showy display of following the law. And it was very showy. It was done to show how law-abiding they could be. But they also built, and I did this a couple weeks ago, they built a big bubble around God's law so that people couldn't even come close to breaking it. And they did that because if enough people start following God's law again, theory was, if enough people start following God's law again, then God will restore the kingdom of Israel that has been getting the crap kicked out of it for 500 years. And then this terrible era can come to an end. To put it a little less charitably, the Pharisees were very extra in everything that they did in order to get God to love them more, show his love for them. So our kind of church here is a, is a liturgical church, and we have some extra stuff that we do that a lot of churches don't. But... But this is important. This is really key to understand, especially if you don't come from this tradition, or even if you do. We don't do the kind of 
formal ritual stuff that we do in order to have God love us more. We do this stuff actually because it's formative for us, because it forms us to be better Christians. It helps us worship more with our whole selves. So when we, when we stand and we sit and we kneel and we stand and we sit and we kneel, or it, it helps us to, to be more holistic in our worship because we don't believe that, that everything that we learn about God is done in a cognitive, thinky kind of way. And so why do we change colors every season throughout the liturgical year as we tell different parts of God's story? Is it so that he'll notice us and think how cool we are and he'll love us more? No. It's because it helps us to understand the cycle of God's story. I mean, if you don't kneel to pray, God isn't going to hear you any less. If you don't put ashes on your forehead on a random, like, late winter day in a, a random late winter Wednesday, God isn't going to think that you're some arrogant, prideful person. These are things that we do to form us, not things that we do to get God to love us. Tithing from your, from your mint and your rue, your garden herbs, is a fine thing to do. We should do it. Jesus says it's a great thing to do. Our goal should be to have every facet of our lives, including our little herb garden, to be a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God. But when we start making secondary things the primary thing, when we start making superficial exterior things into actual core identity things, it's, I mean, it's just idolatry. And, and it's, it's the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus is warning against. He says that these people are unmarked graves. I mean, that is harsh stuff. And, and I know it's harsh stuff because the other people who were sitting there listening to Jesus spoke up at that point. And, and this is my favorite part of the passage. The lawyer who was sitting at the table as Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. I, this is one of the times when I think the Gospel of Luke is genuinely funny. Jesus is saying, Woe to you, Pharisees! You love the best seats in the synagogues and greeting in the marketplaces. Woe to you! You are just unmarked graves. And one of the lawyers, this is verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying those things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also! For you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves would not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So as it turns out, according to Luke, um, the, the modern phenomenon of, of getting offended on behalf of someone else is, is absolutely not a modern phenomenon. Because this lawyer is listening to Jesus rebuke the Pharisees, and then he's like, um, teacher, that hurts my feelings. And Jesus is like, oh, I got stuff for you too. Woe to you. Let me tell you all the things you're doing bad. And it's hard to bear. It's hard to hear Jesus be this confrontational. But it's important, and this is... Jesus thinks this is so important that he's willing to speak this clearly to people. Because this kind of hypocrisy is damaging. This, with the lawyers, is the second kind of hypocrisy that Jesus has in view. With the Pharisees, it was working from small to big. It was taking peripheral things and trying to make them essential. But with the lawyers, the hypocrisy is do as I say, not as I do. It's, it's the complete opposite of living a life before the face of God, of, of living a life that is, that is trying to be a faithful follower of God in light of Christ. It's the opposite of, of taking the log out of your own eye before you start worrying about the speck in your brother's eye. The hypocrisy of do as I say, not as I do, is, is just simply opposite 
to living in the kingdom of God. And, and the thing to remember is these were the religious rulers of the day. These were the shepherds. Jesus is telling this lawyer that every prophet sent by God throughout the Bible was, was sent as God's mouthpiece to call his people to repent and return to him. And the result for the prophets was almost always the same. The people did not want to repent. They love the little life that they've built, where they can live however they want and do the things that they want and not worry about God, and then take their sacrifice. and They go to the temple, go to the worship service, and they make their sacrifice to God. They go right back to doing whatever they want. That was the pattern for Israel. That was the pattern that the prophets were speaking against over and over and over. Jesus said that his generation of experts in the law, this man that he's talking to, this generation of religious leaders and shepherds is exactly the same. They're no better than the ones that, that killed the prophets. He said they have intentionally obscured God's law, hiding it under endless regulations, heavy burdens. And so what they've done is they've kept people from seeing the key to God's law, the heart of it. That God's law was actually meant to be a blessing to his people for their good and punishment. So the lawyers then continue to heap burdens on people, but they don't themselves worry about following these rules. That is hypocrisy. And Jesus then goes on to show that this kind of hypocrisy has two specific victims, you and every single person around you. Because after Jesus just completely unloads with both barrels on the lawyers and the Pharisees. He turns to his disciples in private. This is chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. This is exactly what Paul was talking about in the 1 Corinthians passage. The word leaven is also the same as yeast. And so Paul said to the Corinthians, don't you know that a little, a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be made a new batch, new unleavened batch, for indeed you are. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with this unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If you're a baker and you know anything about yeast, all you have to do is put your yeast in the middle of the dough. While you're, give it a, a quick mix, then while you're letting it rise and while you're let it, letting it prove, that yeast will work its way through the entire dough. Flagrant sin in, a, in any community, in a, in a family, in a, in a social club, in a church, flagrant sin is the same thing. Now, in the case of the Corinthians, it was... This, this church in Corinth, it was just a hot mess. This church in Corinth was putting up with a known adulterer. Not like somebody who used to be one, but like somebody who was actively engaged in adultery with another member of the church. And this church was putting up with it. And Paul is saying, what are you doing? What is that? What is that except hypocrisy? What do you think that hypocrisy is going to do to your church? Paul and Jesus are both saying that when we, when we normalize a behavior, we might as well be actively spreading and encouraging that. But there's a reason that Jesus talks about this, this yeast thing right after his passage on hypocrisy. Because that, that kind of thing, people 
pretending to be one thing while really being another. Or people being way more concerned about, about um, the, the external stuff that other people can see than what's going on in their heart. That can spread. That can spread through any group, and it is infectious. I mean, everyone knows someone who has a problem with pretending to be one thing. And the secret is that it, it, at some time, every single one. Every single one. I mean, maybe you know of even whole churches that are kind of built on this idea of an external image while inside the heart is not dealt with. And, and, and as I was writing this this week, you know, you, you, you just have to follow religious news and you hear all the time examples of, of churches that are, that are just, seem to be just hotbeds of hypocrisy. And as I was writing it, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, what if that's us? Like, would we know if we were one of those places? And, and I don't think we are. But I think that this is something to actively guard against. And I think this is what Jesus is saying to his the church should be a place where, ideally, the church should be a place where, um, where a married couple can come in to, to, to the gathering of the congregation and say, our marriage is not working. Not. And we're in trouble. Please help us. And ideally, the church should be a place where, where someone can come in and say, I cannot stop stealing from my workplace. I am in trouble. Please help me. And that's a big ask. Like, that's, that's pretty idealized. It's a lot easier, I think, to turn into a place where people are more concerned about external appearances than what's really going on. It's a lot easier to turn into a place where, even as leaders, where the leaders can say, do as I say, not as I do. But Jesus and, and Paul would tell us that when, when that kind of hypocrisy is allowed to spread, it will end up infecting the entire body people will begin to lose faith in the actual institution itself. Then they won't notice it, like an unmarked grave. So, okay, given that, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think that perhaps the, the, the best thing is first to admit that every one of us has this tendency. I mean, yes, the church is full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. Because Every single one of us is a sinner. And so everyone is going to have their let's work from small to big on this moment. Everyone is going to have their do as I say, not as I do moment. Everyone has their, well, there's, there's rules for you, but not for me. So I think the first step is simply repentance, confession. Knowing that, that daily we fall short of how God calls us to live. Knowing that we desperately need God's mercy, and that's that's really kind of the, um, the heart of what this season of Lent is about. That this is the time when the, the, the picture that, that Paul paints of an unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that's kind of a good image for Lent. That it might not be as delicious as a big yeasted bread, but it is, it is sincere and honest. A season of deep reminders of how desperately we need Christ's atoning death for us how desperately we need his resurrection from the dead so that we too can be resurrected to new life. He died the death that we should die, and he was raised to the life that we can now live. And so I think that's the first step. 
And it's a good first step. It's just admitting that every one of us has this tendency. Because that way it's easier to spot. And so that posture of, of penitence that we have is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just the time about two-thirds of the way through the service where we all corporately confess our sins to God. It's the daily posture. It's a lifelong thing. We know we messed up. We know that we will mess up again. And so to pretend otherwise would be to say that we're the one exception to God's word. So I just, I, I want to leave you with this, that if it's true that all of us at some point have the tendency toward hypocrisy, I think that we do in some measure or other. I think that what the Bible would tell us is that true humility, humility before God and humility with one another. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories in the life of Christ. We thank you for your Old Testament law. We thank you for your psalms, which enable your people to sing to you in, in so, many different, so many different ways. We thank you for your New Testament epistles, where, where we can see that the, that the Old Testament law, that the gospel stories, see that this is all connected as, as your church given instructions on how to live, given gospel truth, they can rest. We pray that you would enable us to rest in that truth this week. In Christ's name.